How's everybody doing tonight? Welcome to the Church on the North Coast. Glad you're here. Watching online, uh, like and share. If you're in the room tonight, go to Facebook, like and share. It helps us extend the reach of the gospel. And, and that's what it's all about. How many have seen the Jesus Revolution movie? How many have seen it? I've never in my life experienced the presence of Jesus on a movie like that. I had to repent. I am, a, I am, a, 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 I have to say I'm very hard on Christian movies, Christian television. I, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm probably, uh, I went in not expecting what, what was Jesus, the presence of the Lord on that movie. And uh, I, at the end of the movie, I probably spent 15 or 20 minutes weeping before Jesus. And so if you've not seen it, it's an indication of what's on the horizon for the church today. It'll, it'll be a little bit of what I'm talking about. I'm going to talk about revival tonight. Revival is, uh, there are revival winds blowing across the country, the world. Uh, have you noticed? Have you known? If you've not noticed, there are revival winds blowing uh, across the world. Uh, I believe it's important that we make sure that we invest in our student ministry because I have a feeling, I have a feeling that, um, that that is where the fire will ignite, especially uh, in this region. So um, having said all that, uh, let's go in, in your Bibles tonight. I'm not sure where I want to start, so let's just, let's just start at the beginning in uh, Psalm 107. You can put your finger there, but I, I want to just, um, just open up by talking about revival. Um, it's interesting that we use that word, revival. It's interesting that we use the word. It, you know, it's funny to me how we give words to things that don't need words. We do this a lot. We over-describe things. And I can't at the moment think of one, but we've all been like, oh, you gave that a, a word? So you're telling me that we decided that we were going to give the presence of God a term to describe what it was that's happening when he's present. And we call it revival. Because that word is not in your Bible. And if it's not in your Bible, it's probably inferred. Revival, the word revival, is not in your Bible. It's, it's something we coined to describe when God's presence would show up in an undeniable way. We, it, it'd show up and then, there, and most times it would, it would be associated with these like massive uh, uh, attended gatherings. So I, I want to give you a, a generic, kind of a generic definition of what I think we all believe revival is. Revival is an undeniable and tangible awareness of God's presence that is associated with repentance and spiritual renewal. Is that about right? About sum it up for you? One more. I would add this, this in there. I think the Holy Spirit is vital, the person of the Holy Spirit is a vital and essential component of revival. We started, we started charting revival around the 1700s. You know, 
he had all those things. It was interesting, Pastor Kyle, you sent me that video the other day. And it was, you know, you can make a, uh, what do you say, we, you, a denomination out of that, yeah. And uh, every time there was a, a different move in the world, interesting how denominations would form out of these moves. But the moves were always God. It was always God moving in an undeniable and tangible way where his, his presence brought repentance. Repentance. You know. Yeah, so, so if you look up there, like right, right around the 1700s we started. And then we, this is only far as it goes. Well, it got to the Jesus movement. The third wave revivals. And then, you know, Wesley and all the other fellows. And we, and we, started, we started naming the... We started naming outpourings of God's spirit revivals but it's not in the Bible that word's not in revival which tells me that it's inferred that revival in the Bible it's just inferred Psalms 107 verse 9 so so I'm gonna I'm just gonna summarize real fast what I believe I'm gonna add to you tonight what I believe revival is revival is hunger Revival is dependency and trust, and revival is normal. This is what I want to I present to you tonight. Revival is hunger. Psalms 107, verse 9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul, and he fills the hungry soul with goodness. Jesus said this, Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be... It, it occurs to me... It's, it's something, it's interesting to live hungry, is it not? Have you ever been hungry? Like really hungry. Like where you hadn't eaten for like, you know, try not eating for 24 hours or something. You know, my, my, my youngest boy, he'll, he has this way of saying he's hungry. He's like, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. What he really means is, Daddy, give me some ice cream. Right? Or, I'm so hungry. And he said, what do you want? He said, some cookies? <laughs> and we're a lot like, we're a lot like uh, 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 children. We, we complain of, uh, of hunger, and then we eat junk. And we fill ourselves with junk. And Jesus said there's this, there's this tension. If you want revival, then you have to live in this tension of hunger. Meaning you have, to get, you have to empty yourselves of something in order to get the essential thing. His presence. He said, my presence I'll give to those who hunger for it. But, but perhaps we're just a bit too full today. Because hunger is, so hunger is, is faith. Who would have knew? Who would have knew that God didn't care about Smoke and lights. Right? Did you see where the revivals are breaking out? In Asbury, of all places. Have you seen the lighting there? It's terrible. Have you heard the acoustics there? There's no things hanging on the wall. It's absolutely atrocious. Have you seen their... their and I'm not, I'm not messing with them. I'm just saying, perhaps we need to repent. Perhaps we added too much to what all we needed was hunger. 
Perhaps all we needed was to gather. You know, I've been, I've been around the world a few places, and, and I've, I've, gathered, I've gathered in empty fields with masses of people, with no lights, no smoke, no, no chairs even to sit on, nothing but hunger for God's presence, and in the middle of a field, dusty, dirty field, Jesus shows up. All because of hunger. And who would have known that all we needed to do was empty ourselves of everything else and get hungry for him? If you get hungry enough, you can move mountains. You get hungry enough, you can change. You get hungry enough, you can be transformed into his likeness. But you got to get rid of what you're full of. Who would have known? So hunger, revival, just, just, if we can get hungry enough, this is what, this is, this is, I can spot a revivalist from like, I can see him, man, I could just, you walk into a room and you can tell who the revivalist in the room is. You can tell, you can always tell, you got an ounce of discernment, you walk into a room and you go, that dude loves Jesus, he, he is hungry. She is hungry. And there's some things that mark hungry people. There's some, there's some, care, there, there's some stuff that like, they don't care. They don't care. I'm hungry. You get hungry enough, you'll stop caring about what everybody thinks of you. You get hungry enough, you'll stop, you'll stop criticizing everything. And I would caution the church in this hour, you know, especially leaders. Like, oh. Isn't it funny how we, we just pull apart everything with our words? But I want to remind us of what happened to, to Miriam and Aaron in the, in, the, in, in the Bible when they began to criticize a move of God that was led by a man of God. And God said, no, I, I'll, bring, I'll bring leprosy to criticism of the moves of God that I bring to the earth. And if you're not careful, your, your, your spirit of criticism will cause you to become spiritually leprous. You'll lose your sense of feeling to his presence. I caution us in this hour to just be mindful of like, be sensitive and like, if God wants to move, don't try to, don't try to tell him how to move or when to move or with whom to move. You can see today, you know, I heard, I heard, I heard that some of the people involved in the, in the revival movement over there had, had some sin in their life that they're still dealing with. You know, God just doesn't care what you think of other people. He said, he said in Joel, he said, in that day I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Not just young people, not just old people, but all flesh. Not just the holy people, but even the people that are, that are dirty. Even the people that, that look a, a lot like the world that you say they're not worthy. I'm going to pour my spirit out on all people. And it's going to be evidence of me in that day that I'm the one doing it. Man didn't qualify him. I'm the one that justifies him. You ain't got nothing to do with it. You watch where I pour my spirit out. I pour my spirit out on the homosexual as much as I will the prostitute. And in them, and I'm not saying they're going to stay that way. I'm telling you that when he pours his spirit out without measure, that suddenly transformation comes to an entire generation with the pouring out of his spirit. But who are we to say he can or can't do it when he, whenever he wants? 
It's just hunger. And hunger looks different for all of us, doesn't it? It looks different. When I got real hungry in my life, I didn't look like, you know, what some people thought I should have looked like. And I, 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 would, I would dare say today that there's a hungry generation that doesn't necessarily look like, you say, you don't look hungry with all your purple hair and all your, your things in your noses. and You don't look hungry, but that's just on the outside. You, but that is hunger nonetheless. That's hunger for something. They're hungering for something. And who are we to decide they're not worthy of God's presence? That's just hunger. When you get hungry, you know, you start to manifest I've been to places in the world where little boys and girls were so hungry that their hair turned orange, like almost white because they were so hungry, so deficient. And isn't that happening today with a generation? It's just hungry and it manifests and it looks, it doesn't look natural, but it's hunger nonetheless. And God said, and wherever I see hunger, I feel it. I feel the hungry. And secondly, revival is dependency and trust. And I'll take you to, I'll take you to Luke 7, 12. Read this with me. It's, a, it's an interesting story here. And, and when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out. Uh, more accurately, a, a dead boy. A dead boy was being carried out. And he was the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. She was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. And when Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, do not weep. Then he came and he touched the open coffin, and those who cared, he did again. He did again what was rabbinically unclean. He touched, he, he wasn't supposed to do that, but who are we to tell Jesus what he, isn't, what he isn't supposed to do? He did it anyway. He touches it. He does it anyway. He touches the coffin, says, do not weep comes, touched the coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, young man, rise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother who was a widow. There's so much here. Let me just say this. Jesus will always respond to the heartbreak of his church. And he will always bring a touch to revive. He always responds to trust and dependency. Jesus in the story, you ever wonder, what, Jesus, what, what is it about you and widows, man? Why, why do you like the widow so much? What is it about a widow? I, I, I say this all the time. I say it. That whenever you see a woman in the Bible, ask yourself. Just ask yourself. Every time you, you read a woman in the Bible, ask yourself this question. What's God saying to the church? How does she represent the church in the story? You remember, she was a widow. Her husband had gone on. What Jesus saw in that widow was his bride. He saw his bride grieving. He was looking forward to a time when he knew he would be gone. 
he would, he, would, he would ascend and he would be absent from his bride and his bride would carry the burden of a lifeless generation. And as she carries the burden of a lifeless generation, Jesus is passing by. They're carrying this dead boy. Jesus is passing by. He recognizes her as his bride. He stops. He stops. Because he, he says, man, a broken and a contrite heart I cannot despise. Jesus is moved. You know, Jesus can't, if the church, if you and I can get hungry and broken before God, we can arrest Jesus in his steps and we can cause the spirit of the living God to come into a lifeless generation and bring resuscitation back to them spiritually if we, but, but it's contingent, if we will allow ourselves to be broken before God, to not walk in spiritual arrogance, to not presume to know the way, but to say, God, I'm dependent. I trust you. I am a widow on this earth. I am lost without you I need your presence in my life I can't raise my family without you I can't do my job without you I can't go to school without you God we will arrest the heart of Jesus and when we arrest the heart of Jesus by our brokenness he will revive a generation that's lifeless you say they're dead you say, my, 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 my nieces, my nephew, my son, my daughter, they're wayward. You know what will arrest the heart of Jesus and cause him to put his hand upon them? A broken church, a church that is contrite before God, a church that humbly walks before him, a church that does not presume the way, that says, God, if you don't go, we're not going. If you, but if you'll go, we'll go. Wherever you tell us to go, we'll go. I won't move without you because I realize I need you. I trust you, Jesus. Revival is dependency, and revival is trust. And, and if we can arrest the heart of Jesus, he'll heal our broken hearts, and he'll revive a lifeless generation. And then lastly, revival is normal Christianity. You've been told a stack of lies, man. They should have never started recording it. They should have never, they should have never did the denomination thing. They should have left well enough alone. They should have just recognized it for what it was, and we should be wise enough to recognize Jesus for who he is today and, and let him do whatever he wants. And surrender to it. You know, that's what it's about. It's not because we can't control it. And the fact that we can't control it, that bothers us. But I just want you to know God's going to move in 2023 in ways that make you uncomfortable, that are inconvenient, that bother you, that, that you can't control. Acts 2.39. I want, I want to show you something. Acts 2.39-41. Jesus, or Peter, preaches. Pentecost happens. They're all speaking in tongues. Peter stands up, and he preaches a sermon. He preaches. And, and he says, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. 
And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. And he said, be saved from this perverse generation. This is what Peter said in this generation. This is what Peter said in his generation. This is what Peter said to his generation. And we're afraid to say it to our generation. But this is what Peter said to his generation. Be saved from this perverse generation. This is what he said. He said, then those who, were, those who gladly received his word were what? They were baptized. Immediately they were baptized. They didn't have to jump through hoops. They didn't have to go to a class. They just got baptized as soon as they received Jesus. You know what? They just got baptized. And, about, and on that day, look at what he said. About 3,000 came to Jesus. About 3,000. This was, the, this was the, the, the launch of the first church, of the early church. This was the launch of it. And what I want you to take away from this, what I want you to see in this text is this, that what we call revival, the New Testament church describes as a normal response to the gospel. And if you, if you follow the book of Acts throughout, what you will begin to see is over and over and over again, God began to do and move and thousands upon thousands came to the Lord. And it wasn't labeled a revival. It wasn't labeled something special. You know what it was labeled? Normal. Because the gospel is simple. Because the gospel is just flat out simple, man. You're, you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Jesus is righteous. He came. He's full of man, full of God. Died for you and me, hung on a cruel cross. Laid in the grave, was yanked out on the third day. And on that day, he brought you with him and gave you all of his righteousness. That's the gospel. And if you will repent of your sins, which means to change the way you think and trust in him, you too can be a son or a daughter of God. That's the gospel. And that simple message right there will draw he said if i be lifted up i will draw the magnitudes all the multitudes will come to me if you will simply get out of the way and lift me up that's the gospel and i want you to know today you hear me if you're used if you're if you've grown accustomed To the presence of God being absent in your life. That is dysfunction. That is not normal. It is not normal for a believer in Jesus to not experience the awe-inspiring presence of God on a, on a consistent basis. You say, how? How? I'm glad you asked. But first of all, listen to me. We've got to stop normalizing dysfunction. We've got to stop normalizing. Who cares what the world calls it? We cannot call it what they call it. We cannot, we cannot be conformed to the likeness of this world. We have to be transformed. We have to be formed by God. By the renewing of our mind through his word, we must be renewed. We cannot allow ourselves to be formed into the world. And just because the world says it's that way, we cannot do it. We cannot affirm dysfunction in any manner. Even if it's in, even if it's in the virtue of saying, I don't want to be mean. 
The meanest thing you will ever do to somebody is lie to them, is deceive them. The, 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 great, the kindest thing you could do is with the love of Jesus in your heart and say, listen to me. Christ died for sinners like me. And if he died for a sinner like me, he'll save you. Promise you that. But it, the meanest thing we could do is to affirm dysfunction. You know, when, when, a, when a deer, when a, a male deer is forming his antlers early in his life, as his, as his antlers are growing, they're very, they're, they're very like sensitive to, to form, to formation. So if, they, if they're walking through the wilderness and they bump a tree, what happens is the trauma from that, from that wound will, will redirect the, the normal form of the rack, of the, of the buck's antlers. And, and what will happen is that buck, once, once the trauma happens to the, to the antler at, the, at, a, at its formative age, it will begin to, it won't go back. The trauma, unless redirected supernaturally, the trauma will grow in a dysfunctional manner. And what, what is interesting is that that trauma that caused the, the, the growth to become deformed becomes genetic. And when he mates, he passes it along to his children. And the next thing you know, you got a herd of deer walking around with one antler this way and the other one distorting and deformed. He can barely see. I've seen it many times. I've been in the woods a lot. And as they breed, they breed dysfunction and deformity. And so, we can't normalize the absence of God's presence in our families, with our children, in the malls, at the restaurants. We've got to get so bold in our faith that we normalize faith that moves mountains. We put our heads down, we bow, we pray. We stand up. We speak out when it's perverse. We, we declare God's goodness in the land regardless of, of who's in the room. We're not, we're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if we are, we deform the gospel. And if we deform the gospel, we make it dysfunctional. And then all of a sudden, it's like God has to, God has to like start a revival down in the middle of Kentucky. And he has to do it so pronounced to get our attention, to say, hey, I'm still here. I'm still doing something in the earth. And then it has to spread, and then we call it, oh, my goodness, revival's here. Can I tell you something? Revival's here right now. Amen. Revival is close as we want, as dependent, as hungry as we will become. That is as close as revival is to you and to your children. That is how close revival is. I mean, it's in the air. I'm telling you, it's in the air. You can, you can catch revival. You get around fire, get around enough fire, and you'll catch on fire. But we can't normalize this function. How do you, okay, and I close with this. How do then, how then do we sustain revival? 
It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. I'm going to take you there. Acts 2, verse 42. Here's what it says. Yep. Acts 2, verse 40, 42. After that move of God, immediately, this was, this, they were like, look, this is what we're going to do. We're going to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now, first of all, our apostles got to stay apostles. You know what I mean? Like, we just need apostles of the faith. Don't say that. Okay. It's interesting that the apostles had doctrine. Which, mean, which meant, like, they... They had experienced enough that they carried authority from their experience and they taught others what they had. So there's, there's, there's a couple things here. First of all, we need families to stay intact. We need churches. Stay where you're at. Stop. Now I'm talking to apostles now too. Go get you a family and be a grandfather to it. God's grandfathers are not rolling stones. They are rocks of foundation for their children to build their life on. And we need, we need more apostles, like some that are here today, right? Stand firm in the gospel, call it what it is, and then we need generations to understand that we're becoming. We gotta surrender to become what God says we're becoming. So there's a whole lot of humility there and a whole lot of like, I can't get mad and leave when I'm corrected. I, can't, I don't have permission to walk out on my family because it didn't happen the way I thought it should. Or because did you see what they did, did, did this and that? I gotta stay. You know why Peter got the keys? Peter was a big mouth. Peter might have been a whole lot of things. You know what Peter did? Stayed. Stayed. All the rest of them ran. Peter, he was looking. He stayed. And Jesus said, man, I give you the keys, man. You are the church. And upon you, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Why? Because you stayed, Peter. You stayed firm. Everybody cut and ran when it got hard. Everybody got offended. Everybody got their feelings hurt. You stayed. It indicates this other thing. We've got some learning to do, some gro that we're all growing. That Google doesn't know what the apostles know. 
You can't tell me nothing. You can't tell me nothing. I know already. I read the Bible just like you. You can't tell me nothing. But you want to know how they sustained revival? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They weren't moved by the, by the latest revelation. They weren't, they weren't swept away by empty philosophies and ideologies of the blue or the red or the left or the right or the donkey or the elephant. They weren't, they weren't hypnotized by the ideologies of this world. They steadfastly remained in the apostles' doctrine. They surrendered themselves and said, this is where the fire is. This is where the presence of God stays continually. I'm staying there. So that's what they did, and they had fellowship. I said, man, we've got to get everybody connected beyond a service. We've got, we've got to get life groups, everyone... We must know one another be beneath surface. I need to know, like we've got, we can't all know one another, but there has to be such a mingling and such a, such a fellowship with, with one another that we know when you're gone or what you're going through. Did, did you hear about this, Pastor? Did you know that, they, that they're having surgery on Sunday? Me and all of our life group are praying for them. There has to be a fellowship that we, and this fellowship is, is of the faith. Because fellowship outside of faith will pull you away from presence. So there was fellowship. There was the apostle doctrine. There was fellowship. And the fellowship, in the fellowship, in their gatherings, so there was gatherings. There were gatherings. You can't have fellowship if you don't gather. You, you see what the devil's been doing? It's nothing new. This is, he's done this his entire career. His entire career has just always been about like, I can't let you be in a room with you and you and you. If you four get in a room together, something dangerous is going to happen to me. So I got to keep that unity of faith separate. I can't have you touching and agreeing on stuff. You want to know why there's such a spirit of division in the world right now? It's in the world. I'm this, I'm that. No, I'm this. No, I'm that. You should do this. No, you should do that. You know why they're doing that? That's the spirit of Satan. To divide you. Why? Keep you from touching in faith. Keep you from uniting in faith. Oh, I can't have these believers. So they fellowship, they gathered. So your, your presence matters. And when they gathered, they had communion. Had the Lord's Supper. I, teach, I taught a message at the beginning of the year on the rapture. I remind you what that, what that supper means. The cup happens to the bride and the groom. When we, as the, as the bride of Christ, receive that meal, remember he said, I'm not going to eat this with you until we eat it together in my Father's house. Until then... Do this in remembrance of me, is what Jesus said. Because I, what I want you to do is, when you gather, I want you to have this meal together, and I want you to remind one another, I want you to encourage one another, and let everybody know that you and I and we are married to Jesus.
and we're waiting for him. We're waiting. We're expecting him to come. And we encourage ourselves to say, this ain't the end. The end, the end, we know that he wins. We know in the end, we know our faith makes us victorious. We hold on and we remember him in our fellowship as we receive that meal. And we remind ourselves, we are not married to this world. We are married to Jesus. When we receive the cup and the bread, we say to ourselves, I am married to Jesus. And they fellowshiped with the breaking of bread. And here's what they did. Like, it's a real easy recipe for revival. You mean all we got to do is grow in our understanding of God's Word? All we got to do is gather in fellowship together and we get to eat? We get to eat. And as we eat, we pray. We pray. We, we covenant, in covenant, we agree. We come against Satan's agenda, we come against disease and sickness, we, we declare we are the bride of Christ. That stops Jesus in his tracks as we pray, our prayers ascend and our, pray, our prayers avail. And as we pray, it says, whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. And whatever we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And suddenly, as we pray, the force of righteousness sweeps through the land. And it revives, it brings revival to everyone. That's how we maintain. That's how we sustain revival in our land. Come on, stand to your feet as we close tonight. So I want to encourage you. Live hungry. Empty yourself. Trust Jesus in every turn. If we can live broken, if we could just... If we could just humble ourselves and live broken before God, we can cause Jesus to stop. He cannot walk by a widow. He can't walk by him without blessing him. And his blessing brings revival to our children and our children's children. And we must, we, we must never, never allow ourselves to be deceived into believing that the absence of Jesus in our life is normal. It is not normal. Revival, what we call revival, is what the early church said. That's just normal Christianity. We're supposed to live like this. We're supposed to be excited. We're supposed to, we're supposed, you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to exhaust the presence of Jesus every time we gather. We're not supposed to run in, get our three points, get a, get a good, you know, good worship set and run out. We're supposed to come in, exhaust the presence of Jesus in a room, and say, God, I'm not leaving until you're done. Because revival is normal. And I, I'm, not, I'm not leaving until the manifest presence comes in this room and knocks us off our horses. I'm not leaving, God, until you heal the sick and raise the dead. I'm not leaving, God. You know what would happen if we got into, if we got into a service and said, God, I'm not leaving until I, I go out uh, healed. I'm not leaving until the, until, the, until the wheelchair is empty. I'm not leaving, God. I'm not leaving this place until revival comes in here, until your presence is manifested in here, until it's so good in here that it chokes the ministers and they can't preach anymore. Amen. Come on, let's pray. Father, thank you for every, every believer in this room, God. 
We, 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 today we declare that we're going to empty ourselves of this world and we're going to become hungry for your presence. We declare that we're going to live dependent and trusting in you and you alone. We're going to have a broken and a contrite heart, God. We're not going to be haughty. We're not going to go before you. And God, we're not going to normalize dysfunction. We're going to expect, God, your presence to show up and we're going to continue. We're going to foster faith in our life, in our children's lives, and in, in, in our friends, and our families, God, we're going to foster faith. We are not ashamed of the gospel. Tonight, if you're here, you're watching, and you've never asked Jesus into your heart, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I repent, which means I change my mind. And I, I declare, Jesus, you're my God. I'm your son. Take my life. Use it for your glory. In Jesus' name. Come on, if you need a touch from heaven tonight, if you, need, you have sickness in your body, just lift your hand all over the place. If you have sickness in your body, you, you want to pray for somebody just right now. We just declare in Jesus' name, healing virtue, healing virtue, healing virtue. We loose. We loose the virtue of heaven right now. We declare in Jesus' name the strength and the victory of Jesus in this room. We declare, God, bless your name, Jesus. Be glorified, be magnified. We give you permission. We surrender our agenda. Jesus, we declare we won't presume cautiously move obedience God in obedience we will move if you say it we'll do it come on right now just just let God know if you say it God I'll do it if you tell me God if you just whatever you say I'll do I, in this moment I hear your voice and I just say Jesus whatever you say I will do I just want you to know Jesus I'll do it no matter how weird no, how, no matter how odd it is no matter how, how big it is Jesus if you say it I will do it I surrender all my anxiety all my worry and I declare Jesus take it all take it all Jesus I give you my family. I give you my children. Come on, tonight we call, we call home a, a lifeless generation. Tonight we call home a lifeless generation, a generation. We bless you tonight, Jesus. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Live right. Love everybody. Pray hard. Thank you for being here tonight. God bless you.